This is Company Cars, the podcast that tries to make sense of the car business. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Company Cars. On this episode, I'm going to talk about this under-discussed phenomenon that's occurring in the automotive business. And it's a trend that's been continuing since the 2008 financial crisis, but has really accelerated in the past two years as a result of supply chain disruptions and chip shortages associated with the pandemic. And this issue is the death of the affordable new car. So over the past few years, we've seen the average transaction price for a new car rise from around $39,000 when this podcast began and to nearly $46,000 today. So even accounting for record inflation over the past two years, this is still especially breathtaking in a market environment where demand for new cars has continued unabated and most new cars arrive at dealerships pre-sold. So in this episode, I'll talk about a few reasons why the average transaction price for a new car has jumped so dramatically, why this issue has largely flown under the radar over the past decade, and my thoughts on how this will trend in the coming years. We also have another rental car roulette where I'm revisiting a previous rental car roulette and re-examining the Mazda CX-30. So I drove this new Mazda CX-30 on a longer distance drive than the last time, so we'll talk about how my thoughts have changed after driving this car a longer distance. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Company Cars. And on this episode, we are going to discuss the end of a vehicle feature that has made driving an adventure for many for generations. And I was inspired by a recent article in The Atlantic about this topic and the things that we'll lose when this feature in cars goes away. And I thought I would address it on the podcast and present an additional perspective. And this is the manual transmission. So we'll talk about why the manual transmission has disappeared in recent years and why I think the end of the manual transmission is worth mourning. On this episode, we also have another rental car roulette where we are covering the first pickup truck to make its appearance on the podcast as I'll discuss a recent rental of a Toyota Tacoma truck. So the number of cars that you can buy with a manual transmission has dwindled rapidly from its peak of roughly 35% around 1980 to just about 3% of new cars in 2010 down to about 1.4% in 2020. And I think this will go to zero or under 1% within about five years, which is incredibly low and means that Even cars that you might have assumed would have come with a manual transmission option, like sports cars, like a Chevy Corvette or Mazda Miata, are largely coming with automatics now. So the manual transmission is dead, and why should we care, especially since most of us in the U.S. don't know how to drive a manual transmission or don't really care for driving a manual transmission? I think in the U.S. it's about half or a little over half of drivers who know how to drive manual transmission. But the reality is when most of us go to buy a car, we prefer to buy automatics. And I think we should care because the end of the manual transmission is, in my opinion, the beginning of the end for driver involvement in the driving experience. So even though a manual transmission has had negligible or even negative performance differences with an automatic transmission in recent years, but it provided drivers this sense of connection with the road and the car and made driving more involving and engaging for the driver. So it forced you to become one with with the car in a way that an automatic transmission couldn't duplicate. And the availability of a manual transmission on a particular car, to me, meant the engineers were passionate enough about the product and their work to try and make this manual transmission alternative available, even if 
if we're being honest, the business case to offer a manual transmission has been weak or non-existent for probably 10 years now. And with the end of the manual transmission, especially as we shift to electric vehicles, we lose another connection between the driver and the car, which is, in my opinion, another step on the path towards fully autonomous vehicles, eventually, if only in a very subtle and small way. So two factors in concert, I think, drive the decline in manual transmissions. And really the big one is that there's been declining consumer interest in driving a manual transmission because in many ways, an automatic transmission offers a lot of convenience and features that a manual doesn't. So with an automatic transmission, you don't have to worry about stop and go traffic. You don't have to worry about knowing when to shift. And for a lot of drivers, this is very appealing. If you're primarily using a car to drive around the suburbs and run errands and commute to work, it's something that a lot of people don't want to think about. So the reality is that these convenience factors have led so many of us to choose to buy automatic transmission cars over manual transmissions for any one of these reasons. And this vicious cycle starts to develop. So as consumers demand more automatic transmission cars, dealerships will tilt their inventory towards automatic cars, which makes it harder for those who want manual transmissions to find a manual transmission car. So then at the margin, buyers who are indifferent will take an automatic transmission car because it's available today or available sooner. And automakers notice this and they start to restrict the number of configurations or combinations of cars that they offer with a manual transmission to make their lives easier and to make producing cars, managing inventory, getting the right cars in the right part of the country to make that part of their lives easier. And so we have this vicious cycle that develops because now if an automaker has reduced the number of configurations available with a manual transmission, shoppers who are looking for specific features may decide to put up or take the automatic transmission to get those features. So a really good example is for many years, the Honda Accord was available with a manual transmission, but only in the lower trim levels with cloth seats and manual air conditioning. And so if you wanted leather seats, a sunroof, or uh, automatic climate control, you had to step up to a higher trim level that came only with an automatic. And so over the years, even shoppers who wanted the manual transmission but wanted all these other features were choosing to buy the car with the more features and not choosing to make those sacrifices for the manual transmission. And then this means that Honda can justify fewer and fewer combinations to put in with a manual transmission and it keeps going around. And so the cycle repeats until manual transmissions become so niche and so difficult to find that automakers decide it's finally not worth their financial worthwhile and just kill the manual transmission altogether. So a good example of this, again, is the Honda Accord. So the Honda Accord, until very recently, was available with a manual transmission. So in the 2018 redesign, you could purchase the Accord with a manual transmission in in actually two configurations. You could buy it with the base four-cylinder engine, and you could buy it with the bigger, more powerful four-cylinder engine as well. And this was really rare for Honda to stick with this as they were, I think, the last midsize sedan standing with a manual transmission available. But the issue is because Honda forecasted that so few people were going to buy these, they produced very few of these cars. And so it was really hard for consumers who wanted a manual to chase these cars down. And that made it even more 
more difficult for buyers who maybe just gave up and either bought something else or gave up and took the automatic because the automatic transmission in the Accord was actually quite good too. And if you have to travel hundreds or even a thousand miles to find a manual transmission Accord, it might not be something you're willing to do, especially if the dealer that you're traveling to knows that you really want it, then you've in many ways lost all negotiating leverage with the dealer. And finally, Honda cut the cord. So I think in the past year or two, Honda has killed the manual transmission in the Accord because they said that there, was, there wasn't enough consumer demand for manual transmissions and it wasn't worth their while to do it. And what do I mean by it's not worth their while? And this leads us to the other big reason that automakers are exiting the manual transmission business is because there are huge fixed costs tied to engineering the transmission and certifying them for the U.S. market. So when I say certification, this means that the EPA requires that you submit each configuration or combination of engine and transmission to them for emissions and crash testing which means it's very expensive to do this. It can be upwards of a million dollars per configuration or more to do this type of testing. And so if you have many different engine and transmission combinations, you've duplicated all of this additional testing work across all the configurations. And so if you can cut out a few configurations, that's money that's saved. And so while manual transmissions are popular in other markets, in the United States, these Engineering, compliance, and testing costs means that it's really expensive for automakers to offer them, especially given the low percentage of shoppers who are really interested in manual transmission cars. And so if the automaker sees the certification costs as being cost prohibitive in the United States, even if if they've already done the engineering work for Europe or Asia, it still may not be worth their while given the relatively high compliance costs and relatively small number of shoppers that they think they can actually capture from offering the manual transmission. And this has led to manual transmissions being increasingly confined to sports cars, but even for sports cars, we are seeing manual transmissions become less and less prevalent as an available option because sports cars to begin with, have a very low customer, a very small customer base and low volume. And so the relatively high fixed costs of compliance and emissions and engineering become even greater when you only have fewer total units to amortize those costs over in a sports car program like Corvette or Miata or the Toyota Supra, for example. So this has led even automakers to stop offering manual transmissions in sports cars. Most notably, GM has ended offering the manual transmission in the Corvette. And so for many years, the Corvette was available with a manual transmission. But even in the past two decades, the take rate or the percentage of Corvettes that came with a manual transmission hovered in the 20 to 30% range which is very high compared to the general population of cars, but is lower than what you'd expect for a sports car. And so in that sense, like over half of all Corvettes came with the regular automatic. And with the latest mid-engine Corvette, GM didn't have a manual transmission available on hand that could handle all of the power and efficient, uh, all of the power demands of the Corvette. And so the cost of engineering one or adapting one of their existing manuals to fit the new mid-engine Corvette meant that it wasn't worth their while anymore. And so they offered only the automatic, arguing that the, the performance is actually faster, uh, better, in the sense that the, the car accelerates from zero to 60 faster, it shifts faster, it allows them to 
do more fun things with the interior design and layout to make the Corvette a lot more futuristic. And eventually, I think one factor that GM hasn't let on is by being entirely automatic, it'll make it easier for GM to adapt the Corvette to a hybrid powertrain and to eventually offer a full electric Corvette as electric cars you don't really have a transmission per se, and so you can't really have a manual transmission, so to speak. Although I think there's a startup or two out there working on this. Another really good illustration of how the performance gap between the manual transmission and the automatic transmission has narrowed over time in the same car, or has even swung in favor of the automatic transmission, is Formula One. So in Formula One racing, the cars exclusively have transmissions where the shifting is done automatically based on driver inputs to save time from drivers physically having to move a lever and put in a clutch. And so these cars use what's called a automated manual transmission or a dual clutch transmission of some sort where the drivers in the Formula One car will like pull a button and it'll shift for them automatically and the computer will shift much faster than the human can. And so these advancements in automated manual transmissions are faster at changing gears, more responsive to driver inputs, and results in less of a performance loss from human factors of having a shift than a regular manual transmission. So what's happened over time is for the same car now, you see the automatic transmission model often has faster zero to 60 times than a skilled driver in the same car with a manual transmission. And outside of Formula One, Porsche has developed a very advanced automatic transmission, often referred to as the PDK transmission. There's a very long German name that has the uh, initials PD and K in it. So that's why we colloquially call it the PDK transmission that has zero to 60 times that are materially better than the same car with a manual transmission. And so Porsche actually makes this transmission a $2,500 and plus option because their argument is you're paying for performance by getting the PDK transmission. So historically, one reason that drivers chose a manual transmission is that they would get better fuel economy because there used to be pretty substantial efficiency losses associated with having an automatic transmission. But this gap and these efficiency losses have narrowed over time to the point where now many automatic transmissions actually achieve better fuel economy than the same car with a manual transmission because they can perfectly time shifts or hold higher gears when the engine does not uh, need as much, consume as much fuel or consumes it more fuel efficiently uh, than a manual transmission where the driver has to decide what gear to be in. So the automatic transmission can optimize for fuel efficiency if it would like. So. This has led to some efficiency, performance, and cost benefits of the manual transmission going away. So this has taken away a lot of the the business case from a uh, consumer perspective to choose a manual transmission. Uh, So also automakers have moved to make automatic transmissions largely standard because if they equip every single car with an automatic transmission, there are economies of scale from producing a lot of automatic transmissions at once and they don't have to incur the costs of developing a manual transmission. So really, the only reason left to choose a manual transmission from a performance perspective is for intangible driver involvement and driver fulfillment perspective. So I have a Mazda Miata that has a manual transmission, and this car is incredibly fun to drive with the manual, and I have to be 
much more focused when I'm driving this car, and especially if I'm driving on hilly or windy roads and I'm constantly shifting, I can have a lot of fun with that. And so that's something that I wouldn't have as much fun with in an automatic version of the Miata or in an automatic transmission car, of which I also have one that I drive every day. So when I want to drive around for fun and there's not going to be a lot of traffic, I'll, I'll drive the Miata. Uh, one interesting thing is... If there is a lot of traffic, I actually find it incredibly frustrating and annoying to drive the Miata, so I would actually prefer not to have a manual transmission in those cases. And so I understand where a lot of drivers are coming from, where the convenience factor of the automatic is just too strong to resist. So when we lose the end of the manual transmission, what are we really losing here? And we're losing this focus and interest in the driving experience because we don't really care as much about the driver experience if a lot of the driving becomes automated. So if you think of all of the autonomous car projects and you think of all of the advancements in advanced driver assistance features that are starting to minimize the amount of driver involvement that's necessary to drive on long distance roads, uh, we're slowly moving away from some of the engagement that the car has with the driver. And these are very small steps and it'll be a very long time until you can take a nap in the driver's seat and wake up at your destination, but we're slowly inching away further and further and further away from the driver being this critical part of physically moving the vehicle by like turning steering wheels and shifting transmission gears, etc. So cars will still require us probably to to pay attention to the road and to make different computer inputs based on what we see in the road in ways that maybe the car can't pick up or understand as quickly as humans can. But I think what's happening is we're becoming more detached from the car over time. And that's actually totally okay. And so maybe this is just the advancement of the car over time where maybe years ago we all rode horses and that we were super involved with transportation. And then now uh, we have an automated horse, but we have to turn the crank and we have to be very focused on operating the vehicle. And over the years, even throughout the 20th century and the early part of the 21st century, we see this increasing theme of reducing the amount of effort that the human driver has to put in to get from point A to point B. So this is in many ways the natural evolution of transportation in general. So maybe this is fine and maybe there's always going to be this small contingent of us in the world that really enjoy the manual elements of driving and there will be some cars that cater to our needs. And so even though sports cars, there aren't as many of them in the world today as there were 30 years ago, there, there are still some cars that have stood the test of time. So Porsche sells a 911 and a Boxster sports car, the Mazda Miata's around, we still have Corvette, Camaro, for those of us that really enjoy driving. And in addition, as new drivers join the roads, they'll have a new definition of what it means to be fun to drive. So if you think about a Tesla Model 3 or some other electric performance vehicle, they're very fun to drive, but in a very different way that's unique to an electric vehicle and the properties of an electric vehicle that's different from, say, how a late 90s Miata or Porsche 911 where everything is analog mostly and everything is manual drives. The feel is different. I, In my opinion, they're both very fun having test driven a Tesla Model 3, but it's just very different from how I feel when I slide behind the wheel of the Miata. And so 
kind of like how there are still horse farms and horse-related activities for horse enthusiasts. I, I think there will be car enthusiast cars and enthusiast car activities for those of us who are car enthusiasts and and for a new generation of car enthusiasts. We'll we'll see what that looks like and what the future of car enthusiasm is for this newest generation of drivers. And so I'm optimistic that there will always be an element of enthusiasm around cars, but instead of thinking about engines and transmissions and manual transmissions, we may be shifting to being excited about charge rates and being able to use the car to power other things and being able to connect your car to the grid to provide assistance during a blackout and being able to do really cool things with the interior design of the car. So just the nature of being a car enthusiast will shift. And the end of the manual transmission, I think, marks the beginning of this paradigm shift that we maybe haven't seen in several decades of what it means to be a car enthusiast and what it means to have a car that's fun to own. So I think it'll be interesting to see where this goes. And now it's time for a short break. We'll hear from our sponsors and we'll share some information about how to submit a listener question. The Company Cars Podcast is sponsored by Rejected Conjectures Incorporated, a division of integrated derivatives. If you have a question that you want answered on the show, write us an email at companycarspodcast at gmail.com. And now it's time for Rental Car Roulette. And now it's time for another episode of Rental Car Roulette. So on this episode of Rental Car Roulette, I'm very excited to discuss a pickup truck. And this is the type of car I don't drive very often because I don't own a truck and I rarely need to rent a truck. And so, but for this trip, I specifically reserved a pickup truck because I was moving and buying a lot of furniture and a truck just seemed like the perfect thing to have to make trips to the store and trips to Ikea. So I thought about renting a full-size pickup truck like an F-150 or a Ram or Silverado, and it was actually less expensive than what I ultimately rented, but I just moved to a city with really narrow streets, really narrow highways, and given my lack of familiarity with driving a truck every day, maneuverability was a huge priority. And so instead, I reserved a mid-sized truck, expecting to get either a Ford Ranger, Chevy Colorado, or Toyota Tacoma. And the mid-sized truck segment is one of those segments that comes and goes every few years. And so kind of in the 1990s, we had this segment that had the Chevy S10, the Ford Ranger, the Toyota Tacoma, and the Nissan Frontier. And then it kind of went away a little bit during the 2000s, except for the Tacoma and the Frontier, because the American automakers thought it was just easier to sell just the full-size pickup truck and discount the full-size pickup truck a little bit more to where it was worth the small premium over a mid-size truck for people to buy. And But then the mid-size truck kind of came back in the 2010s as a reflection of interest in people wanting something smaller, maybe just marginally a little more fuel efficient. And so now we have a little bit of a mid-size truck segment where the Ford Ranger has come back, the Chevy Colorado is now in place, and Nissan has redesigned the Frontier as well. And Toyota has always been in this space, and they are the market leader in mid-size pickup trucks. And so I was expecting to maybe get a Toyota Tacoma. And when I rented 
the car from budget, they gave me a Toyota Tacoma. And this particular Tacoma was a crew cab Tacoma, a short bed, so five foot bed, and which is exactly what I expected at the rental car counter as the most common configuration. So over the years and more recent years, these mid-sized pickup trucks have become much more of a lifestyle purchase. And so most shoppers are looking for this crew cab five-seater configuration with the shorter five-foot bed to make the car a little more manageable to handle. And so this one was what I expected, and it had the TRD off-road 4x4 package, which is super desirable on the used car side of the market. Uh, For me, and for what I was trying to do, it was probably a bit over the top and unnecessary, and I think it made the ride a little harsher because it had off-road tires, it had a, a slightly tweaked ride height and suspension that made the car kind of bouncier over bumps. Uh, but I understand why budget ordered this particular configuration because it's a very attractive combination to used car shoppers. And within the Tacoma lineup of different options, it seems like it's a relatively good value. So the TRD off-road version of the Tacoma slots in between the base model and the more luxurious limited model. So it's right smack dab in the middle and has a lot of these visual cues that Tacoma buyers are probably looking for. So uh, the car did it, the truck did its job. It was really fun to drive and fun to drive around, I guess, but not in the traditional sense. So it's not fun to drive in the sense that driving the Miata was, but driving this Tacoma, I felt on top of the world and felt like I could handle anything and it was super capable and it handled everything I threw at it. It handled multiple Ikea runs, multiple Costco runs, luggage, other people traveling traveling with me because my parents were with me. And we had this car for a week and we had no major issues. Uh, I did get pretty terrible gas mileage. I got about 15 miles a gallon, but that's also a function of driving and stop and go traffic, hauling a lot of stuff around that really messes with the aerodynamics of the truck. And in general, just using it for what it's meant to be used for. And so I don't think the Tacoma makes any any claims about being an especially fuel-efficient truck, but I think it was perfect for what I wanted to do. Um, I think an F-150 or Ram or Silverado would have been too much truck in the sense it would have been just a little bit too wide, a little bit too long for what I'm hoping to do because the Tacoma was much easier to navigate through tight parking garages and into small, compact-only parking spots that are designed for Civics and Corollas. So, These Toyota trucks have a cult following out there in the world, and I completely understand. I mean, the Tacoma is one of these trucks that you buy, you drive a half million miles, and then when you go to trade it in on another Tacoma, some exporter buys it who exports it to another country where somebody is very excited to get a Tacoma with only half a million miles on the odometer because they're going to clean it up, fix it, drive it another half a million miles, and not really worry about it. So Toyota trucks in general are famously durable and will give you zero drama for the length of time you own it. They're generally very capable and can go anywhere. And so after having this Tacoma for a week, I completely understand the hype. I think if I were buying a pickup truck, I would definitely be interested in a Tacoma. It's probably just a little bit too much pickup truck for me if I'm going to own a pickup truck. I think for me, I am much more of the Ford Maverick crowd, uh, which is actually a smaller compact pickup truck. Uh, relative to the Tacoma, but for a lot of people, I think uh, something like a Tacoma or Frontier or Chevy Colorado is going to make way more sense for your day-to-day livability than a full-size pickup truck because of its because of its size. And so, 
I think the full sizes are more capable, but you're stuck driving a bigger truck all the time um, and having to deal with that. So overall, I really enjoyed the Tacoma. I don't think I would buy one for myself. If I were buying a Toyota truck for myself, I probably would buy either a 4Runner or a Lexus GX460, but I also understand why other people are really interested in Tacomas and really interested in Toyota trucks in general. I mean, I think the TRD off-road package was probably unnecessary for me, but I also understand why it's so appealing because it's a very nice spot in the Tacoma lineup. You get some really nice visual cues from the much more expensive TRD Pro, but you don't have to spend a ton of money to get those extra bits. And plus you have some additional option packages that can make the truck more attractive than the base model without having to spend all the money on the limited trim. But if I were buying a Tacoma, I probably would get either the base model or the limited, but the TRD off-road is admittedly a pretty good deal in the Tacoma lineup. And so I think it comes in right around forty dollars to $42,000 when I look at the Toyota website and kind of try to build a configuration that's very similar to the one that I drove, which seems really expensive for a compact pickup truck. But in the current vehicle environment where there's not a lot of discounts happening on the full-size trucks, it's not that expensive. I mean, th think of the median new car being purchased as dollars $46,000, $47,000 these days. So this reasonably okay equipped Tacoma being under the median price of a new car is pretty interesting. And this is one of those things that you can buy it for life, so to speak, if anybody's been on the buy it for life subreddit. I mean, if you buy a Tacoma or a 4Runner or any other Toyota truck, this is a, something that if you really want to, you, you can be driving this for the rest of your life. So uh, I think that's something that's really unique about Toyota and Toyota trucks in particular, because they're just engineered to this very different standard and Toyota understands that a lot of its buyers are going to treat these cars like trucks and use them for really tough activities and demand a lot out of them. So they engineer these trucks with that goal in mind. And so with that said, I think the Tacoma is a good truck. It's probably not the truck for me if I were buying a truck, but I understand why it might be the truck for a lot of truck buyers out there and why it's the most popular midsize pickup truck that you can buy, I think. And so that's going to wrap it up for us at Company Cars. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Email us at companycarspodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions you'd like answered. You can follow us on Instagram. We're Company Cars Podcast. And we'll catch you in the next episode.